Hello, and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, January 11th, 2013. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere. This week, we prognosticate about the future of computing, the effects of wireless connectivity on society, and what we can do now to prepare for the network society. Please stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. Hello. Hello. Good afternoon. Yes. Good afternoon. I got to tell you, it is like Africa hot here. <laughs> the, uh, our, our boiler is like stuck in the on position. So you have to shut it off manually. So if you're out of yeah. the house for more than an hour or something, it just like cranks. Oh yeah. We had an apartment in Calgary that was like that and it would be, you know, middle of winter in, in freaking Calgary, Alberta, and we'd have the windows open and <laughs> fans running. Yeah, it's it's January in New England, and I just closed all of the upstairs windows because <laughs> there was too much traffic noise from outside. <laughs> it's hot. Like, yeah. you, you, know you're, you know something's wrong if your orchid is doing well. <laughs> in the middle of winter? <laughs> in the middle of winter yeah. in New England. <laughs> that is it. So, uh, you sent me an updated picture of your game cabinet. Yes, I just got two new ones today. So I had to had to rearrange things and figure out where to put them. Yeah, you might wanna you might wanna get a bigger cabinet. Yeah, I need a bigger cabinet. <laughs> that Twilight Imperium looks pretty involved. It is. It is um, an average game. An average. Well, if we do a full six player game, an average game for us takes probably. Eight to ten hours. <laughs> that, do you know what my reaction to that was? My uh, reaction to that was, I someday when my kid is older, I'm going to have eight to ten hours. Yeah, yeah. We usually <laughs> we usually split it up over several days. Wow. Yeah, I can't imagine eight to ten hours to play a game. Yeah, well, if, if we're just doing two or three players, you know, we can get it done in three or four hours. Oof. Wow. Mage Knight can get close to that too. <laughs> oh, those are the days. Spending an entire weekend doing a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Yeah, yeah. Have like a potluck weekend. Yeah, we have done that. We have done that. <laughs> Someday I can barely get together for poker night with my brothers. Yeah, we have we have have the geeks over every Saturday night. We usually go from eight till about midnight. Mm. That sounds awesome. Speaking of geeks, I uh, spent my afternoon with a little regex and mod, mod read write. Oh wow! Yeah, it's actually kind of soothing once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly because it's one of those it's one of those projects that's like you putting a single PHP file on the server would r radically complicate the workflow between the various parties. Mm -hmm. So, so whenever you need something dynamic, you either have to do it with JavaScript or if it's one of those things that has to, uh, work without JavaScript, you have to become clever. And I was like, can we put an HT access file in with the uploads? Like, yeah, you can do that. It's like, all right. So all of a sudden you get really creative with server side includes and, uh, mod rewrite. Yeah. It's amazing how much you can do with that. If you, uh, if you're forced to do it that way. It's actually 
it's totally arcane, but it's actually quite powerful. Yeah, there's, there's quite a bit you can do. Um, you know, it's just a matter of... I, I normally don't delve that deep into uh, HT access, but yeah, you can you can do quite a bit. And I feel like... I feel like you can probably do even more with Nginx. I probably, yeah, who knows? <laughs> it could very well no, I've, be. I've seen... I've seen entire servers scripted in Lua inside an Nginx config file or entire, you know, an entire layer of logic layer there. Wow. In your, in your web server config. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. There was a, there was a thing that came out a while back about an, a, um, an Nginx module for that would allow you to, to put Lua scripting inside of your Nginx config file. <laughs> wow. Not a big, I'm not super familiar with Lua, but every time I look at it, I'm like, oh my God, this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I took, I took a few days to, to, to learn enough, enough to be dangerous with it. <laughs> and I, I liked it. Yeah. It looks cool. But dear listener, we're not really going to talk about the web today. <laughs> we, we, want to sort of take a step back and and kind of I guess uh, talk about you know what we see as a at least a likely future and sort of pragmatic things we can do that will help us now even if we're wrong uh, that would work with the existing sort of existing world order but also be very future friendly if some of these things that that you know, we think will probably come to pass, do actually come to pass. Um, but you know, if they don't, then no big deal because, uh, because this stuff we're sort of envisioning works everywhere because it's based on basic principles of accessibility and, and, uh, small pieces loosely joined and sort of general, I think, good practice concepts. Yeah. You know, it'll, it'll work really good now. And if it, you know, if, if things change in the future, I think it'll, I think it'll still work good. Right. So if you've got protocols, like... oh, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. No, go ahead. Um, <laughs> you know, protocol, networking protocols and, and things like that may, may change. You know, it, everything may not be HTTP forever, but I think the same principles still apply and, and, you know, adapting to, to changes like that will be a sort of a minimal task at that point. Right. It's, it's, well, let me, I actually want to start by, let me pull up my notes here. Start by talking about things that seem constant to me mm-hmm. in computing or just maybe in general in life. And those, because I think that's a good starting place for uh, predictability. So like, let me put that another way. I, I saw a, uh, a really amazing talk that Jeff Bezos gave at their um, developer conference. And it was obviously they were tooting their own horn. It was their own developer conference, but he said a lot of stuff that was really insanely, uh, I thought, insightful. And, and one of the things he said was, you know, a lot of people, you know, Jeff Bezos, a lot of people ask me, uh, what, what's, what's going to be the, what's the future going to look like the next 10 years? What are all the new things that are going to happen in the next 10 years? And he was like, I think the more interesting question is what isn't going to be different in the next 10 years? And he's like, and he just completely 
it was just so refreshing because he is he's so right you know he's like yeah no one's ever going to come to me and say jeff i wish it, i wish amazon web services was more expensive or i wish it was slower right you know i wish it was i wish it was less, less reliable secure. right yeah. less secure there's some stuff that's just not going to go it's just it's not on a pendulum it's a one-way street and and I think from a computing standpoint, you know, we basically talk about apps and application experiences. People are always going to want them to be faster. They're always going to want them to be cheaper and and smaller and bigger. Interestingly, they're going to want them to be, I think, uh, more extreme in both um, directions on the size scale in terms of like a computing device, let's say. Yeah. We want bigger TVs and we want smaller phones and uh, we want things smaller than phones, et cetera. We want them smaller, but we also want them more powerful. Yeah. We want more power. We want smaller. We want uh, more battery life or no battery necessary. We want everything to be more now, more real time, more immediate. And if you think about those things and uh, in the context of like a current project that you have going on, it's easy to apply lots of them to your design thinking and your architecture because there's so many different ways to skin a cat. Uh, in a given situation, and if you think, well, which one of these is, uh, you know, there, there like might be three ways to do something, and then it's like, well, which one of these is going to be uh, faster in the future, or which one of these is going to be more um, useful in a situation where we've got screens that are, or, or computing devices that are smaller than I can imagine, or bigger than I can imagine, and if, you know, if one of them would probably do better in one of those situations, then that's probably the one you should so, you know, lean toward. Yeah. And conveniently, a lot of times that also ends up being, you know, which one of these is going to be easier to work with when I have to add something to this in six months. Yeah. Like extensibility. Yeah. Sure. So people, so people are always going to want things like that. There's all these desires that they want. There's also things uh, when you think about something specific, like a touch screen, mm-hmm. you know, people's fingers are basically a certain size and if you are working with a touchscreen device, you can't really reasonably go smaller than like uh, a saltine. I usually use as an example because I like that. I've got that iPod <laughs> Nano. iPod Nano, yeah. It's 16. too small. Yeah, it's things. Yeah, it is. The thing is awesome. I want to eat it. It's like yeah. I just want to. I just play. I literally play with the thing in my hand. You know what I mean? Yeah. When I first got it, my my first impression was, you know, I'm gonna choke on this. <laughs> It's like, it's like my rosary beads, <laughs> yeah. but it's too small to use your fingers. I mean, like my, my hands are a little bit on the big side and I, I don't, it's, it's, it works, but it's not like an amazing experience. I mean, even Apple upsized their iPhone screens and their iPod screens. Yeah. Yeah. Even the new iPod Nano has a bigger screen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's just too, they, they went a little too far in the small direction and it's not because it's not awesome. It's definitely awesome, but it's because your fingers are too big. Yeah. It's, it's not the right size for a touchscreen interface. And, you, and I mean, my, my 10 year old has no problem using it, but <laughs> yeah, like I can use it, but like for yeah. crying out loud, it's got multi-touch, you know, like I'm going to get two fingers on that thing. Yeah, um, I didn't even realize I did multi-touch until you said it because it had never dawned on me to try more than one finger. Yeah, you can rotate the view with two fingers. It's and it's hard, and I drop like you <laughs> drop the do. thing all the time. Yeah, you have to like when the device is so small that you have to hold it by the headphone cord. <laughs> you know, you've got 
Like it might as well just be the headphones. Yes, which of course is is you know where I'm going. So that so you know things like our physical um, our physical input devices. If you're using something like a finger, you know there's certain limitations there. You can't go smaller than a saltine, and you can't really go larger than like a picture window because you know if you're expecting a single person to operate the interface because you can't stand back far enough to operate the thing and touch it at the same time. Yeah. I kind of I kind of would say even smaller than that. I feel like anything larger than say like a 27-inch monitor. Mm-hmm. Well, it would be possible for one person to use it. I feel like it would start to get uncomfortable. Right. Yeah, I mean you see the guy on on CNN like what's his name? John Kang and he's got the the wow screen or whatever it's called. <laughs> and you know, there, there are, I suppose, applications for it. And I don't mean digital applications, but like, like use cases that it makes sense. And you, you are supposed to walk around. It's kind of whiteboard applications, but yeah, definitely it's, it's pushing the limits. Like you wouldn't, you yeah. couldn't a billboard size touchscreen. No one will ever make it. Cause it, it's, it'd be asinine. No, I'd, I'd like to have, you know, like a, like a three by four tabletop thing, you know, for, for D and D. Yeah. Yeah, tabletop and multiple people becomes a little, maybe a little different. Um, Conference table type thing. Yeah, yeah, but again, that's like a multi-person thing. It's, right. It becomes a, a whole different, whole different ball of worms or whatever. <laughs> so, so if you think about just those couple of things, you've got um, competing constraints, I guess, where. You know, if people want something to be um, smaller than a saltine, which there are tons of reasons why you would want a connected digital device to be smaller than a saltine, then right away you're like, well, we can't change the size of fingers, so we have to do something besides the touchscreen, so we have to start thinking about it a new way to interact with it. Yeah. And the, those we're just kind of like waffling around in this general area. But the point is that the constraints are going to force us into an area beyond what we see as like the height of consumer electronics right now, which is like the iPhone five or, you know, maybe a a Samsung S three Android phone. Like these things are so amazing and they're so relatively young that it's tough to imagine that they're going to look like fax machines in five years and be like quaint. Yeah, you know, yeah, you're pe- not gonna you're gonna run into situations where you're not gonna have a screen for for your device because it's gonna be too small, or if you do have a screen, it's gonna be a projected image and not a physical screen. You know that kind of that kind of thing. Exactly, like this, that that was it. Samsung Beam that has a projector that you know you don't have to use the screen. So yeah. the, so there's so the point I guess we're getting at is that there's going to be a new wave of revolutionary devices that are, that make the, what now is the height of technology, the, you know, modern smartphone look ridiculous. It won't eradicate it. I'm sure we'll probably still be carrying these things around for a long time to come, but uh, there's going to be something new that uh, is, is as radical as, you know, the iPhone was in 2007. Mm Mm-hmm. And so if you are, if you're a CIO or you work at like a large organization and you're doing, and you're, and you're in the middle of this initiative to retool for mobile, you know, like everybody's trying to like make their M dot site, you know, make a mobile friendly website or whatever. And they're going through all these machinations to try and get it done. And it's really hard. It's, it's, uh, 
you know, there are ways to do it that make it easier, but it's, it's a big undertaking, you know, especially for a large organization that has to get buy-in from all over the place. And it's not the kind of thing, it's the kind of thing that's going to touch the back end. And, and when you're messing around with the back end, you don't want that to be changing every time Apple releases a new product. Yeah. You want it to be like a long-term, it's a long-term investment to make a change to a core legacy system. So if you don't, if you're just thinking like we were going to make an iPad site, you're going to be screwed because it's, it's too, it's way, your, your solutions are going to be way too, your infrastructure is going to be way too geared toward like a particular fad almost. Yeah. Yeah. There'll be all kinds of content avenues cropping up that you won't be, or cropping up that you won't be able to, you know, to, to get into in the areas of the market that, that you won't be able to, to reach without making some radical changes. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's, so it's like, it's, that's the talk I have like all the time with people. Everybody's, everybody, you know, you talk to any CMO and they're just like, we don't care about Android. We just need to make this iPhone app. And, you know, maybe they care about Android. They probably don't. All they care about when they're coming to mobile, they definitely care about iOS. Maybe they care about Android. And all they want to do is like get something out really fast so they can like check the box next to mobile. We have a mobile presence. Mm-hmm. And they end up creating this like silly one-off junk that just ticks off their users because it's not integrated with anything. And, you know, but that's that's a little bit of a different different issue but the 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 i guess my the direction i'm going is that we're going to have a new wave of revolutionary devices probably in the next five years that are going to invalidate anything that hasn't been architected in a future-friendly way so uh, a couple of things uh, came out of ces 2013, which is going on right now. I think it's still going on. And one of the things that uh, was really caught my eye was something called Paper Tab. Yeah, I saw your link about that yesterday. That was that's mm-hmm. cool stuff. Yeah, and it's a lot of people are like, this is why would anybody buy this instead of a Kindle, you know, an iPad or whatever. And what it is is it's kind of like if you imagine an e-ink Kindle, but it's just totally flexible and it's probably about the size of it's bigger, it looks bigger than eight and a half by 11, but it's roughly that aspect ratio. And the, and it has, it is touchscreen actually. It's this flexible piece of plastic that is this, you know, black text on a sort of beige background. And it, 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 the display resolution is similar to what you'd see on a, uh, like a Kindle Paperwhite. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it you can call up a keyboard. It is touchscreen, but a lot of the interactions come from bending it. So if you have, if you're reading an ebook on it, let's say you'd bend the top right corner away from you and it would go to the next page. You bend it back toward you to go to the previous page and <laughs> you bend the whole thing to zoom in and bend it the other way, you know, convex to zoom out. And Well, wasn't it, wasn't it just like a couple of, maybe a month ago you were talking about media queries for like bend ratings? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the, that's kind of the thing that I, I don't know. It just like so many people just like getting all jacked up about something that's super duper. uh, I don't know if I want to say device specific. 
it's like context specific and, and mm-hmm. this kind of like over this f- kind of fawning over this pixel perfection of a website. It's just like, I'm like, to me, I, you know, there's a place for everything for sure. But for me, I, th- I think in a lot of cases, the majority of cases, you're better off being in more places than in less places or fewer places and spending a lot of, you know, and everything costs money. You know, if, if you're spending all this effort on making sure that there are no widows or orphans on any of your paragraphs <laughs> across any device screen size. I'm laughing because I've had that happen before. <laughs> I've been asked to do that before. It's ridiculous. It's I, I don't know if it's impossible, but it's got to be in the category of not reasonable. It's got yeah, it's unreasonable. My my response to that was that you know your return on investment is for the amount of time and effort that it takes to do that for this thing that no one but you cares about is it's just not worth it. Right, right, and it's like you could take that same amount of effort and create more content. Or you could take that same amount of effort or, or, or money. You know, you could take the same resources and apply them to creating ebook versions of your website or, or, or your, your content or whatever. But to, to try and, you know, I, I guess what I'm, I'm suggesting is, is that the page, the printed page paradigm, that widows and orphans are something that are left over from the printed page paradigm and they just, and worrying about them is not worth it. <laughs> and it's just one of many things that I think are, that need to be taken with a little bit more perspective, I suppose. Yeah. And certainly, I, I suppose all that's debatable, but the big thing is if you were going to do something in your actual content that was going to, uh, you know, let's say add non-breaking spaces between the last two words of every paragraph in your entire CMS. <laughs> I will come to your house and slap you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. We um, we had a service for that at one point where we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, the virtual butt kick or whatever. It was. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the name of it. Dev slap, I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't. You know, I, we're, I'm totally rambling. But the the issue is that. People, I think people are very, very focused on iPhone. People are very, very focused on smartphones in general. And and the next level down, they're very focused on touchscreen. And mm-hmm. I think all of that stuff is going to fad. Fad is too strong of a term, but it's going to be, I think that that, that uh, device paradigm of the touchscreen smartphone has matured. It's yeah. like, it's five years old. We're not going to get some radical innovation on a phone. Like, like Tim Cook is not going to come out and go and have an iPhone announcement that's going to blow our minds. It's not. And, a, it's and if not, you lick it, it does this. Yeah, it's not happening. <laughs> it's going to have a smell sensor. It's not. Yeah. It's even if even that, I wouldn't even consider revolutionary. I'd be like, oh, okay, well, just another device API. Right. It's so. What's going to the the thing that it wouldn't the thing that needs to the thing that will make the next thing revolutionary is the change in the computing posture that it enables. Mm-hmm. 
there's the touchscreen, the phone, the thing with the phone is it's too visually oriented or it's not too visually oriented. It's, it's good that it's visually oriented because that's what it's good at. But that's also its downside, which is that you have to use an eyeball to do almost anything with it. Yeah. And you have to use your fingers to do almost anything with it. So when the next thing comes along, which I promise you will be heads up, hands free, you know, walking, constant, true ubiquitous computing, you're going to feel like an idiot if you have non-breaking spaces in your <laughs> in your database that now, you know, when this new audio only interface reads out loud, you know, ampersand NBSP yeah. semicolon. semicolon. Or, or worse yet, you're reading a sentence and then when you get to the end, you get a really long pause because of the spaces. <laughs> Yeah, break, br tech, you know, yeah. less than br slash greater than less than br slash greater than. <laughs> I dare you, dear listener, to turn on voiceover on your iPhone, which I know you have, and and go to your website. Yes, you will be horrified. It's a it's a truly enlightening experience. Yes. And the reason, and you may, you may say, well, how many people are really using voiceover on their iPhone? And I, and I say, yeah, you're, you're right. There's probably a minuscule fraction of a percentage point that are, maybe I'm wrong, but that's not the point. The point is that the next thing, if it's audio only, or if it's, uh, if it's, you know, some new thing that takes audio input and output, uh, or, you know, where accessibility is a bigger deal, then everyone's going to, it's, it's not going to be a question of like, well, yeah, no one does it on their iPhone, but everyone does it on their ear pods <laughs> yeah. or whatever it is. So, yeah. So the, the paper tab thing was really interesting. It's a, it's a practical, I think it's still, it's beyond proof of concept, but it's not in the market. Kind of, it's kind of like, it feels like, kind of like a gorilla glass thing to me where someone's going to see it and they're going to want to incorporate it into a car dashboard or something like that. Yeah. And you know, it's real, like it's, it's going to happen and it's, uh, in some form. And I was, I tweeted something like, you know, what, what's it going to do to your business model when people are leaving these behind on the subway <laughs> because they're 50 cents and they all have WhisperNet connections to Amazon and, yeah. you know, Amazon doesn't care because they're going to, they pay for them with advertising and people just leave them on the subway like a newspaper whole new business models will crop up around like, you know, repairing, disinfecting, recycling, uh, advertising, uh, whatever, whatever it is. And, you know, if you're, if you're in the middle of re-architecting your back end, you want to make sure that you keep your content as output agnostic as possible so that you can play in that new space that's going to come out. Yeah. Yeah. What I want is something like that, that I can write on with a stylus that's as fine tipped as an actual pen. <laughs> yeah. Real e-paper. Yeah. Hmm. Like if there's a if there's a blank on a form on this tablet that needs filled in, I can you know I can write it in. Yeah. On this paper the, thing. There's a pen that. It's it's actually I I first read about it in Omni magazine in the eighties, and it's. <laughs> You're gonna say Sky Mall. <laughs> you probably you probably don't even know what Omni magazine is. Uh, I. It sounds familiar, but yeah. not enough to. Yeah. Anyway, it was a science magazine, and 
And this product does exist. You can buy it at BJ's. It's a pen that has like uh, essentially a regular pen, but it has like a little camera on the end of it. And as you're writing, it watches your movements and translate like all the CPU and everything's in the pen, not the, not the paper. Yeah. And it translates everything into, um, you know, uh, it does like a speech, uh, uh, OCR, OCR type of handwriting recognition thing to it. And you can get, you can, I don't know if it's blue. I think it's Bluetooth. You can Bluetooth it to your machine, your desktop and get like PDFs, uh, and live text from the OCR. And presumably you can have it go straight into Evernote. And yeah, I think I've seen that. And actually, actually, Wacom has a drawing pin like that. Mm. Yeah, I've seen a couple of them. They're not cheap. And, you know, I don't know, you know, I don't know how they were, if they're great or not. But uh, it's, you know, everyone's going to want smaller. Everyone's going to want bigger. And the the, you know, the pen is a lot smaller. It's a lot more convenient. It it's cheaper because you don't have this, you know, you don't have to have this iPad, you know, the pen's not, not cheap, but it's, it's cheaper than an iPad. And so maybe that's your, maybe that's your potential solution, but anyway. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking here, uh, the Wacom Inkling sells for one ninety nine, hmm. and it's got a little, uh, it looks like it's two pieces. It's like a little device that you to oh yeah, set at the top of the page. And yeah, then, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the pen I'm thinking of, I th- it it, the pen I'm thinking of has a bunch of features that work, if I recall correctly, on on any old paper. But you can also get special paper mm-hmm. that that it's familiar with, and if it's if you um, if you know it has like little little check boxes, you know, little regions of the page that have check boxes and sort of like not invisible ink, but you know, yeah. markings that are not visible to the eye. And if you, if it sees you check a box that says email, it'll like email the thing to you. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So there's all sorts of, all sorts of crazy stuff happening there, but I, you know, that's been out for a while. I've never seen one in the wild, so I don't know that it's ever going to catch on, but I, you know, it's, I read a post the other day that from uh, Alice, Alan, I don't know how to pronounce his name. A. Allen on uh, Twitter. Alistair Allen, I guess it is pronounced. I've met him too, so it's terrible. But uh, anyway, he is a big data guy. And he is, he, he's posted the other day, he's like, smart dust is inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> Which I tend to agree with him, but I think that's on a timeline that we can't. Yeah. I mean, maybe he would disagree. He'd probably disagree. I don't feel like that's on a timeline that's going to happen in my life. But uh, smart dust basically is like a CPU plus connectivity on a moat that is small enough to float in your nose and get inside your body, uh, you know, reconfigure itself if need be, <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, obviously beyond creepy. But, yeah. uh, you know, I can't really I can't really argue with the the premise, which is that it's inevitable because people are going to want more connectivity. They're going to want it smaller and better and more real time. And you know, how do you do? We need to today worry about programming for smart dust? Probably not. No, but I mean, we're already looking at smaller and smaller technology that is, in in some cases, actually ingestible for for various medical applications. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, that exists. Like smart yeah. pills, basically. Take a pill and it it basically does a does a, a drug test and a diagnostic on its way down. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. And I'm I'm assuming those are kind of one off uses because I don't know that anyone would want to retrieve them, but <laughs> Yeah, so price is a factor. Yeah. <laughs> so we but yeah, on that on the health tip, we both, uh, I am now the, the, we're both proud owners of the, um, up wristband. Up yes. Yeah. I got my, my I got a medium for Christmas, which was too small. So I got my new large yesterday. Yeah. I don't know anyone who's over the age of like 12 who could wear a medium. They're the sizes seem really small. Yeah, exactly. So up band powers activate. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it's a, it's another, it's a device that is just a, it's a, like a rubberized bracelet and it's got, um, you know, a single button and a headphone jack that you use to sync it to your phone into a, a smartphone application, which, you know, we've discussed repeatedly. That's to me, that's the drawback that it doesn't, um, mm-hmm. it's not directly addressable. You know, you can't send push notifications to the band to vibrate or to flash the lights or anything, uh, which I think is a major drawback. Uh, but it's part of the, it's part of that, you know, that would be great. But at the same time, battery life is important too. So if, you know, presumably the radio thing is a trade off with the battery, yeah. you'd rather have a long battery. If you get, if you come up with one of these that gets charged by the kinetic energy of the motion of, of wearing it, then you're yeah. good to go. Yeah. So, I, you know, as, as much as broadband, that leads me to another random uh, tangent, which is that broadband, you know, people kind of got web developers anyway, got pretty, pretty gluttonous with the broadband, mm-hmm. you know, you see, it's totally common to see these humongous web pages, like, like megabyte sized, you know, 300 megabyte web page. Come on. <laughs> Seriously. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm feeling guilty. Because I've been working on a project that's that's very large, and it's just say I'm doing it for someone else. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, so so it's bad enough now. So now mobile comes out, and you know mobile, so like smartphones, and they're on three G or whatever, and you're like, and I think the expectation of speed is almost almost higher for mobile phones than it is on the desktop, even though yeah, it's easier to make it fast. Yeah, when you're using it, right. Right. You don't want to wait around. Yeah, you've got less attention. It's less likely. You know, if it takes a long time, you'll just wait. It's like back in the BlackBerry days when you're like, I'll right. just wait till I get home. <laughs> yeah, like if I'm gonna if I'm gonna open up, pull up my smartphone when I'm standing in line at the grocery store waiting to check out and and, and look up the price of something, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna want to wait forever because I'm I'm waiting in line. I have other things to do. Right. Yeah. So that. Ready for another tangent? Mm-hmm. No, before I, I suppose before I go on the tangent, the point there is that is that speed is always going to matter, and you I think that you can never never be too I don't know what's the you can never be too sloppy or um, I guess lazy is the word with how much stuff you're sending down to the client because even even with the difference between a desktop site on a on a on a desktop computer or the same site on a mobile phone, it's a major problem. So if you downsize that to something like, um, you know, ear pods, I'm going to keep coming back to ear pods because I think that's going to happen. 
and you're sending some kind of information down to a device that has that's a fraction of the size of a phone and has a fraction of the processing power of a phone because they need long battery life, then all of a sudden you're going to be screwed again. Like it's never going to go away. Yeah, like like don't send images to your earpods. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And don't have a bunch of, you know, crap. Like call- actions. Yeah, all sorts of calls to action in- embedded in your content. Like that's something that should happen in a, I suppose, and it depends. It's, this is... This is an arguable point, but where do you put a call to action? Where do you put images? It seems like that should be metadata around your content that a client can take advantage of if it wants to, but isn't required. So rather than something that you would parse, rather than something that a low power device would parse out of your content, it's something that could be added to your content if the device was capable of, you know, doing something useful with it. Mm So that put me on another topic, but now I forgot what it was. <laughs> There's a, there was something else that came up. There's so many like really interesting. It's probably because of, uh, it's probably because of um, CES, but a whole bunch of really interesting stuff has been uh, hitting the, hitting the news feeds hitting, lately. Hitting the Twitter lately, yeah. Mm. Yeah, you had a had a bunch of good ones yesterday. Yeah, the one with the lady with the brain interface. Like, so this this lady is like, she's you know a quadriplegic. She's been that way for like ten years, and uh, a, a team I don't remember where, uh, but I'll link to it in the show notes. They connected a robot arm to her brain that she can use to feed herself. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's moving. Like, if you watch the video, yeah, and the um. And it's it's the size thing, like size matters with computing stuff because it the the thing that she's it's like a dentist chair with this huge arm coming off of it, and she's got two large, uh, you know, sort of wall wart sized devices implanted mm-hmm. through the top of her skull into her head. I mean, it's like not the kind of thing. Even if it was just the two implants on her head, she, she would it would be awkward socially to walk around with, yeah. you know, to say the least. You know, but if you could miniaturize the technology, it would be a significant difference. You know, all of a sudden it turns into a viable, uh, you know, it's, it, to me, it doesn't seem like a viable solution. It's almost, it looks now almost too big to attach even to a wheelchair. Like it's an experiment. It's still, it's still an experimental. Yeah. Yeah. It's still like, yeah, like, like lab far, thing. far from, far from consumer ready. Oh yeah. Things. Yeah. But the the interesting thing is that they're going to be developing, you know, technology that is better and better at reading the brain waves. Mm-hmm. So there's yeah. so, kind of like two things going on. One is how do we read brain waves and translate that into digital information? And that's one totally independent thing. Yeah. And then the next is how do we miniaturize this and and give it connectivity that it needs, battery life that it needs, that all that yeah the input and the output so that the input from the brain is going to get I, I feel like that piece is going to get solved a lot faster than miniaturizing the arm yeah which is crazy to think about yeah yeah so imagine a new you know input where you could even if it was something as simple as on or off or morse code from your mind or simple text messages or whatever you know if you had a brain input that could that you could control somewhat reliably oh, add in something simple like sms and all of a sudden you have esp you know <laughs> you've created like a <clears throat> like the uh, on the size matters yeah. topic 
it's like the if you can make something small enough and fast enough you it changes everything you know, any any significantly advanced technology cannot be distinguished from magic yeah exactly so like think about it like this this is what this was the thing i was trying to remember before if you had a, imagine that the show the game show jeopardy right and you go on jeopardy and all of a sudden you're allowed to use your iphone during the game you'd still lose to someone who was smart because it's not it wouldn't be fast enough to do anything yeah like you you know you know alex trebek would say (laughs) (laughs) you'd say yeah whatever euphemisms for 600 alex yeah (laughs) and he would you know come up with some question and what are you gonna even if you had your smartphone out already yeah what are you gonna do nothing you're gonna lose so when you think about when you th- that's pretty lame like yeah, an iphone's did, not even awesome enough to help me in jeopardy <laughs> did you see the the jeopardy episodes with watson no i read about it yeah and that's why it's that's what made me think of it because watson is not an iphone no I, I i heard i don't remember what the answer that watson got what or was given but it was like a it was something like um a, a uh an argumentative pastry or something it wasn't that's not what it was but it was something like that and watson yeah. watson came up with meringue harangue which is super like punny which yeah. you'd think would be impossible for a computer for a computer, yeah. So, but to me, that's not even the, that's not even the, like Watson is a separate thing. Like the AI thing is a separate thing than what I'm talking about. Imagine. Right, right. I'm just talking about like the regular speed and connectivity. Yeah, regular human computer IO. Like you couldn't play the game, you couldn't do much better at the Jeopardy game with an iPhone, which I think is really telling. It needs. It would need to be a lot faster. It would need to be a lot more predictive, a lot more real time, which would probably take into account some AI in the back end. Yeah, and you'd need a faster way of interacting with it than tapping tiny buttons on a screen. Exactly, and that's and that's what the new thing is going to be. Whether it's Google Glass or EarPods or something else, it's going to be listening all the time. Like, imagine if you had. So now, okay. So now, imagine an iPhone is useless, almost next to useless at Jeopardy. But if you had. Unless you had a phone call going to someone at home, that would be way better because the person at home could be listening over your microphone the whole time. Yeah, they'd be like, "Oh, I know that." Or yeah, or googling stuff, or they could have you know they could have a, a whole chat room full of people who might know the answer to the stuff that are also listening yeah. in. There's like a million ways something something that a real time connection connection that doesn't require typing on a touch screen could become like, you know, and has some kind of audio output would become uh, way, way more powerful in tons of useful everyday situations, things that are even more useful than being on jeopardy. Yeah. Like driving, for example, or washing dishes or changing a diaper or whatever. I don't know. Writing software. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. I mean, honestly, I feel like at some point it's going to get, it's going to get to the point where as soon as something becomes repetitive, a computer or a robot is going to be able to do it for you. 
Yeah, the software will write itself. Yeah, and then you get down to the point where your only job is, you know, I feel like the limits are going to be like the points where we just feel like limiting it. Like, yeah. do I really want to program a computer to enjoy my music for me? <laughs> yeah. You know, or like my my computer to take a vacation for me? Like, no. No. You know, program my computer to do all this other stuff so I can take the vacation. Yeah, so I can enjoy my music or so I can write some music. But yeah. the computer probably write the music. Yeah. It's like Wally is prophecy. Yeah, I, I don't see how it's, I mean, it, it seems inevitable. And I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. It just moves us farther up Maslow's pyramid. It's like as soon as something becomes repetitive and a machine can can do it in a way that's indistinguishable from what a human can do, then what difference does it make? Right. Who cares where the poem came from? If it's moving, just, it's moving. We just go on to doing something better and better. Yeah, like... And the the uh, and that kind of leads me into one of the other tweets, which was uh, from Kevin Kelly at Wired. He was like, he he wrote an article in Wired about you know people getting nervous about outsourcing and getting replaced by robots or getting their job replaced by an algorithm. And he wrote a big article about how you know you don't need to worry about that because that new reality is going to create jobs that don't exist now that you can't even imagine. And he, the right, whole, you're. You're creating as many as you're replacing. Right. But the ones you're creating are so much more fun than something stupid. You know, something, some grunt, like, far, who wishes they were a farmer? Like, basically, <laughs> yeah. basically, everyone who's a farmer right now wishes they were a farmer. Like, no one needs to farm for their own, in the, in the, let me just, let me backstep, yeah. Let yeah, me backtrack there and say in, in a the first U, world country. Yeah, in the U.S. In the U.S., if you're a farmer, it's because you want to be a farmer. It's not because you need food. Right. So, you know, the, the quote from from Kelly's article that I just summed the whole thing up for me was was this. No one living in ancient Rome wished they could watch cartoons while writing to Athens in climate controlled comfort. <laughs> you know, like air conditioning, TV, yeah. cartoons, wireless cars, you know, all this stuff. It's like it's it's just uh it's going to create new jobs. Like the new stuff we can't imagine. Like we have yeah. no clue what's going to happen. Everything's going to change. It's going to be like, like right now I feel like we're in the Rome stage and somebody shows up like watching Tom and Jerry in an Escalade. <laughs> you know, and we're like, what? What? <laughs> they might not even, and in fact, they probably be like, I don't even like, like I don't even want to have anything to do with that. Like, it's not like my mind's not even in the space where I can think that's entertaining or yeah. useful in any way. Yeah. But we'll, so. we'll progress there in a way that will be like, you know, like my you know, Cooper's going to be like, you know, I, I can't even, I was going to try and insert some like crazy futuristic thing, but I can't even. Can't even comprehend what that could be because it's just, yeah. Yeah. It'd be like totally just crazy. A, just a space, you know, head's not in that space yet. Right. I had a I had a uh, a training session with uh, a big organization a couple of maybe it was last month, and one of the things I was trying to get them to get their heads around was the concept of dematerialization and trying like actual physical dematerialization of objects. Not like okay. Not like <laughs> not like um, beam me up, Scotty. Not like that, but but just as real. So it's kind of like. Um, you know, use the force, Luke, and he like reaches out his hand and gets a lightsaber. 
mm-hmm. you know, from the snow and Empire Strikes Back. Well, my kid can has that power. Like he could stand there and reach his hand out to something and I will go get him that thing because I can see <laughs> that he wants it. So what's the difference? You know, the difference is that like I might not always be there. So it's yeah. in, in, you know, Luke had an innate power. So, but what, but, you know, like the beam me up Scotty, I don't think will maybe ever get to a point where your body is dematerialized and reconstructed somewhere else because we won't no. need to, because what will be the, you know, it like we'll sidestep the whole issue because it'll be virtual. Yeah. We'll just reinvent the reality in a way that our bodies can be there. Like I can whisper into my, you know, a, a little box in my hand and someone in Japan can hear me, mm-hmm. you know, like, do I really need to, do I really need to be, you know, some things you really yeah. need to be there, but we're like eight, we're 800 miles or so apart right now. Yeah. And my, my computer's not even plugged into anything. <laughs> I'm just sitting in this room, you know, multiply yeah. that by, you know, take that up in order of magnitude. And it's like, you can't even comprehend what's, what's going to happen. You know, you can't even comprehend yeah. like what the new job market's going to be like or something. Yeah, it's going to, it's going to have a huge social impact. Because mm. I mean, even right now, you know, the <laughs> most of most of my my friends that have been the good friends that have lasted for for years are ones that have started out. You know, they're they're people that I have met online, and mm. I we've remained good friends because we have similar interests and and, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, know, it's not the accident <laughs> of proximity. Right, right. I'm not gonna. You know, I I. I, I I wouldn't be able to find people here in the town I live in that are into the stuff I'm into mm-hmm. because it's, you know, it's a, it's a small town in the South with, with no, you know, I, I am the IT industry in my town. <laughs> I, I am the web development community in my town. Right. So <laughs> from a, yeah. And from, so from a social standpoint, absolutely, it's absolutely revolutionary. And I think from a business standpoint, it enables mom and pops like this mm-hmm. massive connectivity. It enables mom and pops to to that would never get the foot traffic they need to sustain a business. Yeah. They don't need foot traffic because if they have a sufficiently um, unique interest or unique offering, I should say, then they'll they'll automatically then the customers will automatically find them. In fact, it's almost better that you have a wacky product, you know, under the presu- under the sort of internet rule that if you can think of it, a bunch of people are into it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could be into, I don't know, you know, you could be the, the red Baroque picture frame person or, you know, like you, <laughs> I, I don't think you could possibly over specify. You yeah. could build an entire business around a single search term, like a long one. I need to finish that card game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think about a lot of times I'm like, why would I go around trying to convince like Fortune 500 companies about all this? Why don't I just go do, (laughs) why don't I just go make one? (laughs) Do it. Yeah, they're never going to do it. Like, I, you know, clients, I hope you're listening because I don't believe you're ever going to, you know, the big clients, they've, they're, not set up to be able to make decisions fast enough to make any of this work. Yeah. And like the, it's almost like there was a tipping point where things are changing so fast 
that they're changing faster than the decision-making process in an average organization. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So they c- literally can't compete with like a startup that has four people. Like you have a company that's been around since the thirties that has tens of thousands of employees. That's going to get disrupted by a company with, you know, 12 employees who have never even met in person. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. Mm. Crazy to think about, but it happens. Yeah. And you know, I, you know, I, I do think there's hope or I wouldn't do it anymore. Like I probably meeting tomorrow or the next day, I'm going to go up in this company is like, we're trying to, you know, mobile, mobile, we're trying to like pull this like piece of our, you know, I don't know, it's too soon. You know, I'm an NDA and all that. I don't, I don't even know what I can say, but the, you know, they pull this small piece of their large online operation into like a mobile friendly, responsive web design kind of mm-hmm. new world order. And I, I, they could do it if like everybody that I have to meet with, which is fully a dozen people, if they could all agree in, you know, a, a short, you know, a week, even, you know, a week even sounds <laughs> yeah. like a long time. It's going to take months for them to agree if they ever do at all, you know, but if they could agree in like a week, then it would be possible to, you know potentially do something that would be engaging and useful for their users. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I guess I'm jaded. I'm like, I, if you drag your feet too much, you know, somebody else is going to do it. Yeah. And the, and the, the real problems, the, the sort of hidden politics, the turf wars between the departments yeah. that are involved. Cause at a bare minimum in any of these companies a bare minimum, you've got it and marketing bare minimum. And then you yes. probably have a specific business unit that has been, that has, like related uh, to the thing. Yeah, the actual thing. So you probably have three business units minimum that are on this particular initiative. And none of them want to, for example, like IT doesn't want to do anything because their their to-do list is a mile long and is, you know, they've got things on there that have are having birthdays. Yeah, yeah, or or they don't want to be responsible for it. Yeah, or they know it's doomed. Yeah, You know, they take one look at it and they're like, this isn't going to work. Not because we can't do it, but because marketing is never going to agree with, uh, you know, retail operations. It's not going to happen because, you know, or like dot com and retail. That's my favorite one. Yeah. Dot com and retail aren't going to integrate their customer databases because the SVPs of both departments are like bonus based on whether or not they beat the other one with sales numbers. So, you know, it, it's like they, these organizations are set up to not row in the same direction. Yeah, they, they've created tension there between the departments. Mm-hmm. Competition, a comp- competition between them. Right. It's like the old, it's, it's the old industrial revolution mentality of like second shift versus third shift. Yeah. But it doesn't work in a brand context and in, a, in this new reality where people are computing, you know, 24-7 from anywhere on anything at all times. Like I want to be able to walk into a J crew and I want to, you know, if you don't have the color of jeans I want, I want to be able to order them immediately by scanning the pants I just tried on. Like, yeah. but that means, that means that retail guy lost a sale to the dot com guy. So the retail guy doesn't want to set up Wi-Fi in his store because that's going to mean losing sales. Yeah. And operations is like, I don't want to get in between these two guys, <laughs> you know, and the CEO is like off doing something else. Like it's extremely rare 
for me to see like a CEO involved in any of this stuff. It's always like the, so the next tier down is the one that has to make like a proposal yeah, and, and push it up the chain. And then it, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It has to be top down. Anyway. Yeah. And there has to be, has to be one person that's willing to take charge and make it happen. Hmm. Definitely. Which is what the startups have and the big yeah. companies don't have because the CEO's got other worries and they're not, they're in, in my experience, the CEOs of mature companies are, are beyond the, you know, the, the crazy idea phase that Richard Branson never seems to emerge from. But, you know, most people seem to go into like a maintenance mode. Mm-hmm. Where they're like, oh, three more years and I'm going to retire with a golden parachute. And, you know, if we just if we just keep hitting our numbers every quarter, that's all I have to do and I'm out of here. Uh, really? Can you blame them? Well, well, the whole the whole thing is set, right. No. But, but the thing is, there's like not one. There's no one person to yeah. like, I don't want to say blame, but there's they're so big that there's no one that kind of gives a crap about the overall organization, except right. to the extent of the way that it's they're incentivized to, I don't know, maybe it's just public companies, but that's, hasn't been my experience. I don't think it's just a wall street influence. I don't know. Anyway, the, the, where I've totally tried, this is like a complete ramble all over the map, but so the, the, maybe we should switch over to like some practical things that people could do like <laughs> to, to make an API. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And it's just the same stuff we hammer on all the time. Like usually we talk about it in the context of web because right now web is the everywhere. Mm -hmm. And if you're talking about having apps that run everywhere, you're talking about web, but I don't for a second think that web is the only everywhere that is ever going to be. And I do believe that there's going to be a, a significant segment of the market on a screenless device in the next five years. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's, it's going to be appliances, connected appliances. Yeah. Or um, even, or potentially screens that don't render HTML, like more e-readers, more LCD screens, um, more smart devices. Whether it's you know like my lights in the basement, or you know that you sent me that link to uh, connected cars and like Arduino guys hacking Fords. You know, there's yeah. a there's a lot going on. There's a lot more places where we're going to be getting input from, and there's a lot more places we're going to be sending output to. And I mean, that's just that's all screams API. Yeah, not everything's gonna have a screen, and um, is that your cat? <laughs> yeah, can you hear him purring? Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> let me open the door and let him out of the office. I think he wants out. <laughs> yeah, that's the loudest purr of any cat. Yeah, that's awesome. And he's he's tiny too. He's like a like an eight pound cat. Wow. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, APIs, APIs are it. Like there's no, um, it's not foolproof to imagine that it, that an HTTP API or a REST API or something that consumes JSON is the best thing to go with. But I feel like it's way safer than, uh, than like rendering HTML. Yeah. Like client, it's like hyper client specific output, specific context, specific, applications i think you need to write you need to write contents context specific applications on a client and keep the client code on the client which mm -hmm. means it's a little bit more work granted 
if you're only making one client, but I'm, you know, we're here to tell you that you're not going to be making one client. You're going to be making more than one. Yeah. It's as, as soon as the possibility arises that, oh, I can now I can now add a second client with, with minimal work. Yeah. You're going to do it. Right. And honestly, for the, the, the majority of people, I won't say vast majority, but the, the majority of applications that people are going to be building in the next, say, year or two, you're going to have three clients. You're going to have a web client, an iOS client, and an Android client. Yeah. So right there, you know, you've got reason enough to make a really, really client agnostic API, which is its own application unto itself. And then you've got these three other applications that talk to it. Yeah, and I've I've experienced with some of these projects too, just also from a business standpoint. When you have you have your data accessed by an API, then it becomes really easy to do all sorts of interesting things in terms of analytics and and market analysis of of that data mm-hmm. and all of that too. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's too. It's surprising how many times I'll go into a meeting and and people will be like, you know, they'll be like. Uh, a dot com person there and it's like a big huge company and they're like so we want to you know we want to do mobile but we have to do one thing at a time so you know what we're going to do this mobile website okay great um can you you know do you know currently what the most popular devices are that visit your website now because we're not going to you know you're probably not going to want to pay to test on everything under the sun so if we're just going to pick like half a dozen phones to test on what ones should they be like yeah I, th- I think we're capturing that information but no one's looking at it and maybe i can get it and like no one's no one's like even with an existing website no one's capturing any of that information not no one but a lot of people are are not capturing that information or just like leaving it on the floor yeah and, I, and i'm like you know we're gonna sit around in this room for two days 25 people sit around in this room for two days and talk about what we think we should make when we could just really know we should just we well because everybody's got an opinion so they're like like oh it should this is what we should do like you know and it's like but you know social media is here people use it (laughs) yeah it's like just just gather the data and look at the data and then do what the data tells you you should do yeah there's tons of data and it's one thing if you like look at the data and you know you're like, well, like, you know, I'm going to choose to read this one way or the other. But they're to, to not even look, and basically have two different departments fight about what should be at the top of the homepage of the mobile site because they think something. I mean, I realize that I'm more of a Google style person than an Apple style person. You know, I'm more of a, you know, I just don't see the point of debating something when the data exists. Mm-hmm. Like, what phones should we support? Well, we should definitely support iPhone and blah, blah, blah. And, like, well, you know, your your biggest user base is in China. And yeah. maybe just because the CEO has an iPhone, that's not enough reason to... Or because everyone sitting in this room has an iPhone, that might not be the best data point to use. Yeah, 80, 85% of your mobile traffic might be... Yeah, might be Android. <laughs> yeah, and after this Christmas, like, you know, pat myself on the back, as predicted, Android web browsing went way up. It's mm-hmm. it's very, you know, it's much higher on iOS in general, but it went way up after Christmas because Kindles, those Kindle Fires sold like crazy. And, and probably Nexus Galaxy. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, and the Nexus 7 is probably too, but I'm sure, I'm sure they're Kindles. I mean, those they're giving them away, all those deals. So Yeah, I, I almost bought 
bought one. <laughs> so as much as we talk about, you know, we're, we're happy to talk about Sinatra and, you know, JavaScript bugs and HD access files and all that stuff, because right now the web is, is the everywhere platform. But the stuff that we talk about that's probably the most important is APIs, because that's super, super duper future friendly. And the other thing is having smart content, which we don't talk about as much, but I think is it's easy to ignore because it sounds so boring and tedious. Yeah, and it, and it sounds like something that we as developers shouldn't have to deal with. That's like the other the client thing. should be the one providing the content. Yes. The developer doesn't really have a lot of control over it. It, it Well, it feels like they don't. Yeah. But there is an opportunity for developers when, you know, in mobile's kind of opening the door for this because a lot of a lot of companies are like, wow, our desktop site really performs like crap on iPhones and it's like this porpoising in and out, zoom in, zoom out, zoom in, zoom out, and you can't get access to any of the controls, you can't log in, and these pop-up windows that we have that, you know, they just like they cover the buttons and you can't scroll them out of the way, you know. So they're like, okay, we have to make a mobile site. And... Now is the opportunity when the budget has been released to do something about it. And yeah. so that is the point where the developer does have some control over it because they can say, don't use WordPress as your CMS because that's a web publishing platform. And it's going to, not that you can't use it. I have nothing against WordPress. Not that you can't use it, but it's going to push you in a direction of things like WYSIWYG post editing and you know, all these things. Inline content formatting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when the opportunity arises, dear listener, and your, your, uh, who knows, some boss asks your advice about, you know, well, we need to redo uh, the CMS or redo a content database. Do what you can to, to impress upon them the importance of having agnostic, clean, content that's not polluted with layout instructions for a desktop website. Yeah. So I, I saw another great quote I saw the other day. Let me see if I can see if I can find it. But uh, yeah, uh, Jason Grigsby from cloud Four posted this, did this great post about, um, about responsive. Essentially it was about responsive web design, but uh, he talks about it, to do is basically the quote that I posted was to do otherwise requires you to buy into a collective hallucination and the collective hallucination of web development is that there is now or ever was a screen size or, <laughs> or a resolution or a window size or, or a lighting condition or a specific color. Yeah. If you're, if you're doing a website today and you're still asking yourself, well, should I develop for 1024 by 768? What's the minimum resolution we're going to develop <laughs> for? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're you're opening yourself up for a world of hurt. You're making a disposable product. You're making something that isn't, has no longevity. You know, I just got off the phone today with a big company, and they they were like, you know, we're, we... It's one of those things where they, you know, somebody, a, a deadline came down from on high and it's already like, if we'd started three months ago, we'd still be scrambling. Mm -hmm. And I want to help them, but, um, but they're already thinking about things that are too low level. Like, how are we going to staff this up? And I'm like, well, you haven't even been able to tell me what you want to do yet. 
<laughs> like you have a very specific, you know, very sort of vague high level idea where a piece of this website's going to become, you know, responsive. And maybe that means making a new one, or maybe it means modifying the existing one. But what are the business goals? You know, what are the, what's the goal of it? What's the, you know, there's just like a million questions to ask, mm -hmm. but they're already, it's, it's always, it's always been like this. Even when I was doing FileMaker, someone will come to me and be like, we know that we have a problem. We're not sure what it is, but we're sure that these tools are going to solve it. <laughs> it's like we, we have this problem and, and we need this answer, but we're not sure why. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, I, I used to use the analogy all the time. It's like everyone's running around with their pants down because they don't have time to bend over to pull them up. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like if you just stop for one second and pull your you pants run up, much faster, you could run way faster. So yeah, it, it's, it's like, but it's all, it's always like that. It's always been like that in my, in my professional career. It has never not been like that with a yeah. big organization. Startups is a whole different story. So if you're, you know, if you're a listener, you're at a startup, you're in a very, very rarefied situation uh, with lots of advantages, which is that, you know, you probably have a small number of people and there's probably one person who's calling shots in one area, maybe another person calling shots mm -hmm. in another area, but you guys can be like, you know, uh, this is how we're going to do it. And we're going to start yeah. like this. And you don't have like 20 or 30 years of legacy systems that have millions of users stuck in them in yeah. like a hideous, you know, CMS full of BR tags. <laughs> Startups have their own set of challenges, but that's generally not one of them. You usually have a, a pretty clean slate that, you know, if you, if you take the time to, to do it right to begin with, you know, you're, you're in a good, a good spot. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish that's true in a lot of cases, certainly a lot more cases, but I cannot believe how many startups I see that just like, you know, web startups, they've got like this splash page where they're collecting email addresses and you cannot use it on a phone. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what are you thinking? You know, it's just, it's mind boggling. Some yeah. occasionally, like, I, I don't think it's always a problem. Like I still, I still feel like we'll solve this someday, but happy docs to me does not make any reasonable sense on a phone <laughs> because of the kind of content that you have to manage in it. It's just, it's, it would, it's one of those things where like, I'll just wait till I get back to my computer. Right. But when you, you know, I wish I could remember when it was the other day. I was like, you know, it was on It'd be Hacker like if News. a Valio didn't work on the phone. Yeah. Like, yeah, seriously. I mean, it blows my mind that Apple's site doesn't, isn't mobile friendly. Yeah. Like what the hell? Yeah. That's, that's mind boggling. Like I was, I was amazed to learn that because, you know, I I just assumed that it would be. Yeah, well, they're they're thinking you should well you should be using the app. Don't go to our website. That's a desktop. That's old. Use the the Apple Store app. That's all you need. So I mean I'm so whatever. <laughs> we got we got to wrap. I'm sure we've lost ever you know, the dear listener. I'm sure fell asleep a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> but. uh Ugh. content, smart content, clean content with metadata. API. It's like, it's almost like progressive enhanced data. Yeah, yeah, it is. And APIs to access this stuff in its most pristine way. So these client applications can, can 
turn it into whatever they need to turn it into for their weird, wacky context that cannot be predicted. Yeah, and don't be afraid to give up some control. Oh, yeah, because as soon as you give up control, you get engagement and reach. So. Problem solved. (laughs) Well, dear listener, sorry for the long ramble, but I think we both needed to get that out of our systems. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it's been... Yeah, it was enough. We've been talking about web frameworks enough lately. Yeah. So hopefully there's some some inspiration you can glean from that massive tangent on top of a tangent. Yes, and I'm about I'm about to start on building an an API. And um, as you know, in the past I've done Ruby APIs in Sinatra, mm-hmm. and I'm actually about to start um, adding. Well, I'm not building a new one. I'm adding one to an existing Rails application. So it'll be interesting to compare the two. Yeah experiences there that will be really cool so hopefully next week we'll get back to a little bit more specific pragmatic uh day-to-day useful information but with that i will say that's our show for this week i'm jonathan stark and i'm kelly shaver and we hope you join us again next week for the niche podcast bye see ya